This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, exploring the role of information technology in higher education. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. The university, higher education, and technology are experiencing an unprecedented time of change and opportunity. Universities invest billions in information technology, IT, each year to help them accomplish their missions. IT has the potential to enable higher education to do this more efficiently and effectively. Many universities are seizing these opportunities, leveraging technology and innovation to position their institutions to be world-class research and teaching centers. It is important that we explore what's going on in higher education in this area because these institutions are shaping and forming the next leaders of the U.S. government. Today, I welcome the Chief Information Officer at George Washington University, Ms. Loretta Early. And also joining our conversation from IBM is Rick Strasser. Loretta, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Rick, welcome as always. Thanks, Michael. So, Loretta, what is the mission of George Washington University's Division of Information Technology? So, our mission um, for the division um, is to serve as trusted, collaborative strategic advisors to our campus leadership and constituencies and provide the highest quality of technology services and solutions that can both support, promote, and advance the mission of the university, um, as well as our, our new president's aspirations for GW um, to achieve preeminence as a global research university. Um, how is your division or office organized and how does it uh, specifically um, support the mission of GW. So I am fortunate to have a leadership team. I have four um, AVPs that oversee four areas of focus. Um, one is in the area of security and risk compliance. The other is in enterprise applications and business intelligence. The third area is in operational stability and excellence. And then the fourth area is in planning and strategic initiatives. I also have, a mem- as a members of the Office of the CIO, a finance director and a human resource talent management director. And then as part of that effort, we also have IT directors in our schools. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, organizationally, they actually report directly up through their deans and associate deans, um, but they do have a dotted line back to me um, for uh, security and risk. 
management. So what are your specific responsibilities and duties as the chief information officer of GW? So as the CIO at GW, I serve as the senior IT leader for the university. I provide executive leadership to critical areas of GW. I engage with our stakeholders to prioritize our investments in information technology um, in collaboration with the key constituencies. I lead the GWIT organization in the execution of strategic initiatives and that um, specifically are aligned with and advance the strategic plan and goals of the university. I also oversee the portfolio of technology projects, all IT policies, contracts, strategic vendor relationships, and the annual operating and capital budgets. I also help strengthen the university uh, through fiscal responsibility by helping to manage the university's five-year financial plan, also to ensure operational stability and service excellence, to create a data-driven culture, to manage and reduce risk to the organization and the university, to promote purposeful campus partnerships that can help build a foundation of trust, and to transform the university IT's culture through innovation and collaborations. So, you know, regarding those responsibilities, your portfolio, what are your top, say, I don't know, three challenges that you have faced in the position, and how have you sought to address those challenges? So I think that's uh, certainly one of the top priorities is continuing to ensure the security of the university's data and intellectual property, as well as the privacy of individuals' um, personal information. The threat landscape only continues to increase and become more complex. Um, and a higher education is a target because of our open environment, the spirit of collaboration. Some of the ways that we are responding to that is to take what we call a baked-in security approach, as opposed to thinking of how we're going to secure things after the fact or as a bolt-on. Uh, we also recognize that as part of that, it's really about people, process, and policies. Uh, it's also a focus on awareness. Um, that it really takes the whole community, kind of uh, similar to uh, neighborhood watch programs. It takes all of us to pay attention and to be responsible. Another area is uh, data as a service in an environment. Uh, we have very disparate data silos that are, are disconnected. So it's a matter of helping to build out a foundation for data integration and to make it uh, more easy for, student, for students and faculty and staff to be able to use data to um, inform their decision making. Another area of focus and challenge I think that I would share with many of my peers is identifying and creating sustainable funding and organizational models to make sure that we have uh, both the resources, financial resources, and talent that we need to be able to execute on the strategic initiatives. Part of the ways that we're responding to that is to build business cases, mm -hmm. to understand uh, total cost of ownership, to do full life cycle planning, to look at it's not just a matter of managing a project, but actually bringing a new service or capability online. We build technology roadmaps, uh, but also recognize the importance of having organizational roadmaps to match those technology roadmaps. We're also adopting a cloud-first strategy, so that's foundational to how we provision new services, again, as opposed to looking at it as a, as a bolt-on or afterthought. What has surprised you most about your current role? It, well, it's been so exciting to join the university um, as we prepare to celebrate our bicentennial um, at the same time that a new president um, has joined the university. Um, the opportunities there um, for 
Transform University have really exceeded all of my expectations. My predecessor served GW for over 10 years. He's very well known in the industry, very well liked, very well respected, both by the IT organization and by the campus. And he built a solid team that's committed to operational excellence and quality customer service. So I mention that because I appreciate how disconcerting and disruptive leadership changes can be, um, particularly in higher education. So I I think what has surprised me um, is I've just been humbled and delighted and overwhelmed by the warmth and the honesty of the team and the people that I've met around campus. The colleagues have, there's just been extraordinary willingness to share information with me to help with my onboarding to make me feel I'm really a part of the GW community and family. Could you describe your career path for our listeners? How did you begin your career and what brought you to your current leadership role there at GW? So back when I was in school, I don't think they even had information technology or CIO, so I couldn't say that that's what I wanted to grow up to be. Um, I I guess I can say that my career started uh, first by learning about an industry, and in this case, it was about the financial services and brokerage industry. During the summers while I was um, a student at the University of Virginia, um, I worked in Wall Street for a a brokerage company and learned about the business, the brokerage business. I was then recruited by this company um, after I got out of school uh, as a systems analyst. And I had no technical expertise. I was actually uh, an English major by degree. But the the gentleman that that recruited me, I think, was probably a, a visionary for his time because he was looking for people that understood the business and understood the business process and then could learn the technologies that could help uh, transform um, and improve those processes. So I worked in New York and Wall Street for about five years as a systems analyst traveling around the country, deploying client server technologies. I then relocated back to the Virginia area, did some consulting. The College of William & Mary was one of my clients at the time, and then they um, recruited me to come on board to join, um, at that time, their computing center team. And they were um, looking to transform that organization from what had been primarily administrative computing operations to one that really directly supported teaching, learning, research, um, which was happening quite a bit at institutions around the country. Um, I ultimately rose to the, the role of CIO there. I was there for just about 12 years. I always have challenged my leadership team uh, to pursue stretch opportunities to move outside their comfort zone. And after having been been there for a while, I realized that I had to do the same thing for myself. So the University of Oklahoma offered an opportunity for me to gain experience to provide a multi-campus leadership for a large public research university. Um, I did want to mention, when I've often asked about what the differences are between the universities that I've um, served at, William & Mary actually is a public liberal arts institution. So at OU, um, it offered me the opportunities for the multi-campus perspective, also with a health science center campus and um, university hospitals. So I served there for um, 17 years. Originally going there as associate vice president and then ultimately as vice president. There I was fortunate to be a large part of the president's initiatives um, and commitment to student excellence, student experience. And I think that's where my role as a CIO changed dramatically. When I was considering other opportunities and whether to return to the private sector or to stay in higher education, 
um, I, I had a personal epiphany, and that was that I had always considered myself an IT professional that just happened to work in higher education or at a university. And then uh, it dawned on me that I actually am a higher education professional. I'm passionate about serving that industry and that IT just happens to be an area of expertise that I bring to that role. So for both personal and professional reasons, I was delighted to be able to come back east and join the GW team. That's fascinating. Um, so you've talked about uh, the three different schools, uh, William & Mary, OU, and now GW, uh, three very different public and private, uh, you know, small or medium size and large. Um, what are some of the changes you've had to make to your approach as CIO for those different schools and very different organizations? And, and what have you seen that's been similar in, in the way you've had to approach your job? At William Mary, I think because of it, its size, it was also at a time when information technology, academic technologies was a was a new frontier. Um, so there weren't uh, uh, there weren't horror stories or war stories to learn from yet. So I think people were more susceptible to discovery and exploration. It was also very easy to be plugged in to all levels um, at the institution. Um, because it was it was not um, a, a very hierarchical structure, so it was um, I easily engaged with the president, the provost, the vice president, and the deans. I was also fortunate to be involved in um, several of the presidential searches, so it was um, I was able to talk about technology and the impact that could have in education with those campus leaders. There was also a strong sense of community there. Um, um, I think one because of its location, but also when you have an institution that is over 300 years old, um, they have a tradition and a history um, and a culture that they're they're comfortable with. It was also at a different stage of my life. It was at a time when I was raising my young children, so it offered a, a work-life balance that I felt very fortunate to have. There was the beginnings of some state oversight, uh, so there were some times when we had to provide reports and assessments of progress on reports that received state funding. Um, but there weren't the challenges at that time um, that we're seeing um, happening in higher education now. Uh, the risks were much lower, certainly. The threat landscape was not what it is now. And I think that at the time, there was, there was the value of embedding IT um, in the business was, was already recognized. At OU, um, the role of the CIO um, very much became uh, or having awareness that you're essentially providing IT services support for a small city. And you know, with that, we are maintaining um, hoteling space, our residential halls, uh, restaurants, clinics, police departments. And so we have to worry about things such as uh, campus safety. We have to be part of emergency response uh, to keep our, our students and our campus safe. Under President Bourne's leadership, because he truly is a statesman and, and a bipartisan leader, he always made it very clear that he put students first. Uh, so that helped uh, provide clarity for purpose and helped us prioritize um, what we needed to be working on. Certainly, I also, in my role, had to become much more knowledgeable and stay aware of what was happening at the state legislature level and on the national level and the criticisms around education. There also the workforce there. Now we were starting to see millennials come in to our workforce, so we had to learn how to both recruit and retain um, and grow that workforce. 
we also, because of the length of time was there, uh, went from the the the, uh, the days of the oil boom where money was flush. So we were able to invest in a lot of innovation, a lot of pilot projects, and invest in an infrastructure and an organization that had not been invested in in probably over 10 years. Um, and then we went through the bust. And that was very challenging uh, because we still needed to maintain operational stability while investing in innovation. Also, during that time, my tenure at OU, the world changed after 9-11. So we had to take a much more global perspective in both our opportunities to help develop future global citizens, but also the responsibility and the accountability um, that that implied. Technology also became much more mission critical than it was at William & Mary. And then, of course, you know, we saw the explosion of devices, Internet of Things, personal devices, where now it's estimated that for every student that comes onto a campus, there could be five to seven unique devices that they bring to connect to our network. Um, so it's all about bandwidth. Um, prior to that, wireless was considered a convenience, where now it's considered an essential part of how we work. At GW, what I find here is that it's an ideal ecosystem of education, government, private sector, and research. Students come here with the aspirations of changing the course of history, which I think is quite phenomenal. There's also a much more uh, diverse um, community here, and there's a real focus on inclusion, and that is something that, as a campus leader, we all have a part of paying attention to that and making sure that we are inclusive in our recruitment plans and the services that we design and plan for the community. I'm also at a university at a time when the nation is very troubled. So when you think as university campuses are um, both a microcosm and reflection of what's happening in the world, that it's a community where our students, uh, our founding research, they want to be listened to, they want to be heard. And so we need to make sure that we give them every opportunity to provide that input. There's also an increasing focus on data. Mm -hmm. um, data can both inform and empower our community. And there's also the... In designing our services, it's paying attention to consumerization, personalization, and the user experience. Well, you mentioned earlier um, your position as a leader. You, you you like your staff to stretch themselves. And I was wondering, kind of hinted at your leadership style, but what makes, given your background, given uh, your story, what do you think makes an effective leader? For me, it has been about putting people first, uh, that even if I had all of the financial resources, the technology resources in hand to make change happen, I couldn't do it without the right people. And as a leader, you also need to inspire people. Uh, you need to be able to um, inspire them to be um, followers because you can't be a leader if you have no one following you. <laughs> I think that I, I lear also learned a lot um, from my father, who I consider as, as a coach and mentor. When my father was recovering from bypass surgery, when I came back to the hospital to see him, I saw a long line of people waiting outside of his room, uh, mostly young people. And I came to recognize that these were all young people that had worked for him uh, during the course of his um, his career. And these are all people that he had coached and mentored through his life. 
And that made such an impression on me um, that that's really what um, our our contribution and our legacy should be about. I think that um, I've also learned from some of my top, toughest bosses. They taught me how to develop a thick skin, but they also taught me the value of being sure not to surround yourself with people who are just like you. Yes, yes people, people that will that will challenge you, but also ultimately can serve as, as trusted advisors to you. I've also found that in order to be trusted, I have to start from a foundation of trust. And that's that's key as I have come into a new university that people may bring um, their own concerns or biases, and some of them may need to vent, and I have to give them that opportunity first. Um, But trust that we are all interested in what's best for the university and also what's best for our students and their success. Um, I learned um, from my mother um, to be kind and that um, we should also uh, attempt to leave uh, leave people in a, in a better place than when we first met them. Um, and one of my favorite sayings is one of my Angelus, and that is um, people will forget what you say and people forget what you do, but they will never forget how you made them feel. What are GW's key IT priorities? We will ask its chief information officer, Loretta Early, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How can we hone political leadership? What is the mission of the State of Ohio Leadership Institute? How is it developing the next generation of Ohio's elected state and local leaders? Join host Michael Keegan next week as he explores these questions and more with Trevor Brown, Executive Director, State of Ohio Leadership Institute, and Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, exploring IT and higher education. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Loretta Early, Chief Information Officer at George Washington University. My co-host today from IBM is Rick Strasser. So, Loretta, would you give us an overview of your um, vision for your office and what are your key strategic goals? Our our key strategic goals um, and areas of focus are um, around the the university strategic initiatives. So it's ensuring that we are part of um, enhancing the student experience um, and also ensuring student success. It's also about working with uh, the university's development and uh, alumni relations area to help increase participation and engagement to make sure that we're able to connect our alumni as part of that community, so they want to feel that GW offers the best experience for its students. 
Our medical entities are also an important part of our university community. We are working actively with looking at that business model and those partnerships to ensure that the faculty and the researchers, uh, the clinicians um, in those units have access to university resources that they need. We are also being a part of transforming the university culture. Uh, where uh, there's a commitment to quality of service, to the spirit of collaboration, and wanting to um, invest in innovation. I think that under the new president, um, he's helping uh, GW to realize that it's not just about being the best university in the D.C. area, but it's about being a global university and having a presence there. I think for the organization, The vision is to have a team of professionals that are that are like me are passionate about serving higher education. When we recruit people, uh, one of the interview questions that we ask them is, you know, what is a challenge that they are aware of that is facing our industry? And what are ways that they think technology can help respond to that? Um, Because we're not just looking for people that have the best technology skills. We're also looking for people um, that want to be um, serving the university. What have you done and what's been done uh, to evaluate and streamline your your product mix and cost models uh, to maximize the value and capabilities uh, that GW, the the greater GW community is receiving from uh, your services? And Um, Does this involve enhancing uh, university IT capital investment? Some of the activities and efforts that we've done there is that we have established uh, IT portfolios, uh, or what we also call service roadmaps, that target continuous review and enhancement of our capabilities and what the value contribution is to the university. The review also includes an annual uh, and five-year fiscal planning for investments and cost optimization that can support continued service delivery, enhanced services, and investments in innovation. We have governance groups. We have an IT council that provides representation from across the campus that provides input for how we prioritize strategic initiatives and efforts. We also have a portfolio and project management office that has a team of portfolio leads, project managers, business analysts that we provide as a consulting service to the various units on campus so that we can gather not only what their current business requirements are, but help them envision a future state to um, help match what technology solutions might currently be out there or what we are aware of that vendors have in their roadmaps to put together business cases so that we can ensure scalable and sustainable services and to understand truly the total cost of ownership on onboarding new services. You know, we go from capital um, investment uh, processes to uh, efforts around developing an effective GW-wide IT governance structure. What can you tell us about that? And what are some of the challenges to doing that? I think the challenge is particularly universities that are large and complex and that are going through uh, transformation. Uh, the 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 previous governance models or decision making models, um, I think, can uh, they the process that's used to make those decisions um, is is being seen as the delayed to that process and needs to be outdated. Uh, there's a there's a humor saying in in higher education that a vote of forty to one is considered a tie. <laughs> and it's important because 
every member of the community feels that they have a stake, that they have an ownership in the success of the university. So it's part of the governance and decision-making process. We have to make sure that we engage campus constituencies, people that feel that they have a stake in these decisions much earlier on in the discussion. IT has a reputation in many areas, and not just in higher ed, of believing that they still know what's best for the people that they serve. Uh, And they do that with the best of intentions. But the people that we serve, the people that um, we intend to be able to use these services, they want to be a part of that decision-making process. And it even goes beyond just communicating what we're going to do, which that certainly is a step in the right direction. It's about engaging them in an actual discussion. So that is very much a part of how we're updating our governance decision-making. It's making sure also that very often students haven't been a part of that process. And so we're putting together student focus groups, student panels, making sure that they have a voice in that decision-making process. With our new president, um, he is also uh, very committed to helping improve collaboration and communications across the campus. So he forms, uh, he's formed new university leadership groups and governance groups so that we're making decisions together as campus leaders. You talked a minute ago about uh, project management and how you're building that capacity uh, into your team and your organization. Um, so what are some of the specific steps you've taken to build that uh, capacity and that, that skill set, that discipline in your organization? So increasingly, project management is a competency that we feel is not only one that's important for IT to be able to offer to university, it's also a capability that we are committed to helping the university build out across in the areas. So our project managers, uh, very often when we we are putting a a project plan together, we identify an IT project manager and then a functional project manager, and they work side by side. And part of that is to help different parts of the campus develop project management skills because it can help ensure the future success of a project. So it's capturing up front what are the desired outcomes and the goals. It's putting together uh, what we might call project charters, a memorandum of understanding for how we're going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, how are we going to define success? What are going to be the criteria for that? How are we going to make decisions? What's going to be the commitment of leadership from the areas to support those efforts, to make sure that we have executive sponsors for those efforts, to put together, as I said, the uh, uh, an estimate of the, of the total cost of ownership, both startup cost, implementation cost, and then ongoing cost, not only for the technology, but also for the people that need to be involved in delivering that service. Um, We also group our projects by key areas on campus uh, under portfolio leads. So we're, for example, we have portfolio leads that work with our libraries, that work with our, our campus safety area, that work with human resources. So so key areas on the campus that might have um, several dozen projects in the queue, in process, or in the pipeline. And so our portfolio leads help advise those vice presidents and deans on prioritizing the work within their portfolio. And then most importantly, to align those efforts with the university's strategic initiatives. You mentioned earlier about how technology and and your role has evolved over the years. 
and how critical uh, IT has become to the mission and the bones of that critical nature being the infrastructure. Uh, so what are, what are some of the things you're doing to adopt a capacity on demand model, especially in light of the, the boom of devices that are showing up on campus? Our infrastructure uh, platform is is really comprised of, of three complementary um, platforms. We have our, and, and we also have and embrace our hybrid cloud strategy for provisioning services. I remember probably about seven years ago, a CFO asking me, so Loretta, are, when is IT going to do the cloud? <laughs> he also made the comment that, this was another indication of how IT's acronyms um, completely missed the mark because he said if they if IT or CIOs wanted CFOs and business leaders to have a comfort level with the cloud, they shouldn't have called it the cloud. So our infrastructure is comprised of both our on-premise infrastructure platform. We have also built out a shared services strategy for that. We do have two physical data centers, one in our Foggy Bottom campus and the other at our Virginia Science and Technology campus. And that's to support our workloads, uh, our legacy workloads, uh, administrative operations that up to now there had not been viable hosted or cloud provision services for. We also provide a very rich research platform that serves both GW's research community as well as other universities in the area and other government agencies and research entities. And then, of course, there's also our increasing migration of our services to the cloud and to SaaS offerings, ultimately with the goal of helping to increase our capacity both financial capacity and investments to move from a CapEx to an OpEx model, but also to free up our workforce talent and to uh, recognize what are the tasks and, and jobs that are strategic and offer greater value to the university that we can help retrain and recruit new talent to focusing on. So if we're not having to patch our systems and run servers, but instead move into some of these new roles such as cloud brokers, uh, data analysts, data scientists, and move those capabilities closer to our faculty, our researchers, our students, then those are ways that IT can offer greater value. That's great. You know, I want to switch gears a little bit. And you know, you mentioned earlier the proliferation of devices, and we live in a very mobile world. And I wanted to get a sense of your uh, mobility strategy for the university. Um, what areas are you expanding enterprise uh, mobile services? We adopted a mobile-first strategy for our services, and that. Our first area of focus is how we can enhance the university's, university's mobile app and presence so that it makes it easier for students to be able to have access to the services they need, to be able to conduct um, the business they need to in the day of the life of a student to make it easier, to streamline those processes, to make their interactions with the university not so transactional, but more about the services um, that they need to be able to use to enroll for classes, to 
uh, sign up for advising and tutoring, to also help them build affinity groups and um, have a sense of community. So the first area of focus are ways that apps and uh, our mobile capabilities can improve the student experience. But we're also paying attention to uh, what we can provide to our employees. Uh, we are, as we implement new HR systems, for example, we need to make sure that it has mobile capabilities so that our employees can be more productive, that they can do their work wherever they are and on the go uh, to be able to support a remote and mobile workforce, uh, because that's also um, a part of preparing um, particularly our students to enter uh, the 20th century workforce. We also, again, uh, use uh, the baked-in security approach. So we uh, pay attention to what data uh, might be a part of delivering those experiences, particularly if we use third-party companies for that. We have to assess the risk of the supply chain and um, what's happening to that data, where does it reside, uh, to make sure that, again, we are respecting the privacy of the users of those apps. We also are engaging our students um, in both helping to prioritize what's the functionality they would like to see in the apps. Uh, they're also part of the design, designing the user experience. Uh, we're building out capabilities, groups, also spaces where they can come together, um, and we're helping to encourage an environment of citizen developers. How is IT facilitating collaboration at GW? We will ask its CIO, Loretta Early, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, exploring IT and higher education. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Loretta Early, Chief Information Officer at George Washington University. My co-host today from IBM is Rick Strasser. Uh, Loretta, data is a valuable asset, which you've, we've talked about and you've alluded to. Would you tell us more about the steps you've taken uh, in your division to advance the protection and presence of data and driving value around security and data at the university level? When I arrived at GW, I heard from many parts of the campus about the extraordinary progress that had been made with our business intelligence efforts. 
a large part of that, I think, is because there was a recognition and investment up front in ensuring that we built out a very mature data governance process. Uh, we are considered uh, by our peers as, as thought leaders and sought out by many, both higher education organizations and other industries, on how we have uh, put that governance in place. We also have received awards. The, our, our BI team has received awards for the self-service capabilities. It has built out as part of that. I think also what has been key was building out dashboards for some of the key decision makers on campus so that they could recognize very early on what the potential and the power was of data. I think often IT organizations are trying to help improve or streamline back office operations. And so that's where their focus is on reporting and on dashboards. Uh, and then when the investments are needed to really build out data as a service, the executives have not had an opportunity to realize the potential and the power of that. So I think that's been some of the critical success factors at GW, uh, was recognizing that we had to put in place some of the foundational elements, such as data classification, making sure that we had policies around appropriate use of data. We are also investing in building out our role-based access and identity management, which is a key part of making sure that uh, data is provisioned properly. So who is authorized to have access, what's the appropriate level of access, and then also to make sure that we know when they no longer should have access to that data. At a university such as GW, one of the challenges, uh, but also the opportunity, is that our community is, is so broad and rich. We have members of the community that may not be on the payroll as such. They're not full-time faculty or students or staff, but they are members of the community through an affiliation. And so we have to make sure that they can have access to the data they need to do their work. But then we also have to understand um, what the risks are involved with that. Research shows that increasingly many of the cyber attacks and risks come from within an organization. We've done a pretty good job of protecting ourselves from intrusion from outside. So we need to really understand um, who is using our data, who's accessing it, uh, and how to protect unauthorized access for that. We work very closely with our Office of General Counsel, uh, with our internet auditors. We invest in our security and risk team to keep their certifications and knowledge up to speed. But we position ourselves not to be police and not to catch people, but position ourselves to be advisors on how to manage risk and lower risk and understand that we have to be good stewards of the university's data um, and that we're entrusted to do so. I've heard you talk many times about uh, gaining insights uh, from that valuable data that, that we're talking about. And specifically in your strategic plan, you call out predictive analytics. So I'm curious uh, what you see as the specific benefits of predictive analytics to GW and then how do you envision employing those predictive analytics? And do you see that as a, as a value and a benefit for students or faculty and staff or both? I think predictive analytics offers an extraordinary opportunity for education in general. 
it's only been recently education, particular education, and I think compared to other industries, have really recognized that we need to be basing our decisions on data. So the efforts up to now where we've been looking at trends, historical trends, have been very important because we need to know how we got to where we are. With predictive analytics, it now helps us to prepare, to anticipate. It also helps us to get to where we want to be, to the future state, particularly in the area for student success. If we can predict um, by including in our analysis what's also happening in the K through 12 space. So what are the areas and programs that young people are interested in when they are selecting their college of choice? What are the programs that is appealing to them? Because then that can anticipate what are the programs and curriculum we need to be preparing ourselves for. Um, you know, an example is that uh, you know, during the boom of the oil industry, for example, many students wanted to go into petroleum engineering mm -hmm. because as an undergraduate, they could come out with their BS degree and earn in excess of ninety dollars to $100,000. Well, then when that industry had its, had its crash, here you had students that were, had prepared to be engineers that now did not know what they were going to do. And so... With predictive analytics, not only in terms of student performance, um, but analytics, economic analytics um, and trends are things you'll have to be paying attention to. So it can help us. Uh, it's, it's, it's what industries use to anticipate supply and demand. What are we going to, what is the incoming class going to be looking for? How do we need to adjust our curriculums, our programs? Increasingly, students want to be able to major in cross-disciplinary programs. And so how do we adapt our curriculums and work with our faculty that um, so that we can respond to those needs? We can also anticipate when students, what are the factors that can indicate when a student is, um, is at risk? And you know, we can learn a lot from the health industry. What are the, the criteria for recognizing when somebody's health is at risk? So predictive analytics can help us intervene earlier mm -hmm. and reach out and make sure that we provide the services, the support, the communications that students need to be successful. It also uh, provides an ability for students to be able to be informed. So while we want to make sure that we can provide our advisors, our tutors, our deans, our faculty with that information, uh, students want to know how they're doing. And so how do we provide indicators for them just as they might look at their, their Apple Watch or their Fitbit to see, did I get the right number of steps in? For students, if they can see, do I have the right number of credits to be able to graduate on time? They can know when they should be seeking help to get them to be able to graduate on time and at lower cost. Because of the, the cross-disciplinary um, requirement and need uh, to drive those student outcomes, and as you mentioned before, the mission-critical nature and the value that can come from IT and from technology, you as a CIO in the division of IT are uniquely positioned to help drive that collaboration amongst all the stakeholders on campus. Uh, so what are some of the things that you're doing to foster that collaboration and sharing amongst the, the uh, stakeholders on campus, and uh, what are some of the investments you've made in uh, flexible collaboration and sharing platforms? 
So for me, uh, it's about spending the majority of my time out on campus, meeting with with my peers, with decision makers, uh, and connecting the dots. So as you said, IT has the extraordinary um, opportunity to be able to see across the landscape and the enterprise. One of the areas that many schools, colleges, uh, student services areas are looking at, for example, um, are, are, are CRMs. Um, and in higher education, I, I don't know that everyone's still comfortable using the term customer relationship management. So we, we tend to call it uh, constituency relationship management. So many, there's pockets of this happening all around a university. And so as a CIO, we can come in and hear all of all of those conversations and contribute to them and help. It's not about making sure they pick the one technology, the one software package to use, while that may make our jobs easier, it's more about helping to identify the common ground. How can we identify some initial priorities that can benefit the larger community? Um, so we make sure, certainly in my role, that when they see me, they're not thinking that I'm coming in to have a technical conversation. Uh, if I go in and, and talk to our vice president for enrollment management retention, and if the university's goal is to raise um, freshman retention by five points, I have to do my homework. I have to know what that means, what factors into that happening. Um, some people might say, well, if you give everybody uh, a laptop or you give everybody a tablet, that that might increase retention. That certainly can might help with the cool factor. And, and students, if it's incorporated into their curriculum, if faculty have incorporated their learning experience, it can certainly help with that. But we need to know that it's also about engagement at every level. Um, as you know, uh, it's, it's exploring ways that, for example, many universities have card swipe systems that students use to be able to enter dining facilities, to enter uh, the residence halls, to attend athletic events or arts events. By capturing that information and analyzing it, uh, we can gauge how engaged the student is in the community. And so I have to know that going into that conversation with that vice president so that as strategic advisor, I'm not just advising him or her on the right technology. I can be contributing to the conversation of knowing what other universities have done faced with similar challenges and what are the business processes that they've changed, what are the new services that they brought on board, that then technology can, can be a part of that. Uh, so that's something that I've also set that expectation with my leadership team, that if you want to have a seat at the table, which every CIO and their leadership team says they want to have, and they say, we wish they would engage us earlier in the conversation, we have to do our homework. I had a colleague tell me one time that, you know, Loretta, when you, when you walk up to me um, at a social event um, or, you know, at a, at a soccer game where our children are, I'm afraid you're going to ask me something technical that I want to understand. I said, I just want to talk to you about the ball game. I want to talk to you about, you know, March Madness. I talk about other things besides technology. So, and that's why it's so important that for our, our 
uh, our our team members that they see themselves as serving education because then they will understand what it really means to be able to, you know, the saying is to be able to run, grow, but more importantly, transform your uh, the organization that you serve. And so I think those are the ways that uh, that will make the biggest difference. People say IT needs to be able to, to speak the language of the business. Um, and it is that to make sure we don't use acronyms, we don't use abbreviations. But more importantly, it's really being able to talk in terms of what are the success factors that can help with student retention and student experience. How do we lower um, the cost of education so that students um, are not being burdened with such debt? But what's also key to that, and it's an area of passion for me, is that student success is not just about their time while they're with us at the university. It's helping them make a successful transition to the workforce. And so that's why also another area of attention for me is corporate engagement and strategic corporate partnerships. Um, While on the one hand, education is facing significant funding challenges, there's also corporations and investors that want to invest in education. They realize that, you know, this is key to the country's economic growth. Um, you, uh, you know, it's what fosters a spirit of entrepreneurship and innovation and invention. And so I also position myself to commit time to having those discussions. Um, and part of it is working with the leadership to recognize that, that vendors are not the devil incarnate that they are wanting to contribute um, to making a difference in education. Um, And so that's also part of our strategy for how to make sure that um, we're connecting the dots and um, helping make sure that IT is providing value to the whole enterprise. So Loretta, what are your key priorities going forward and what emerging technologies will facilitate you achieving those priorities? So as I look toward the future, while I don't consider myself uh, someone that can predict the future, some of our my highest priorities over the next couple of years are certainly to help the university build an enterprise strategy that can help support a data-driven culture and decision-making, because that's going to be so critical to our ability to enhance and inform the changes that we make for student success and student experience. We really need to focus on business process and services that can move the needle on student retention. We are also looking at emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality, and how can that be a part of enhancing the learning environment. There are faculty that are willing to commit the time to redesign their curriculum, to look at their pedagogy, and are committed to students' learning. And I want to make sure that we are part of providing the support resources. The academic technologies team um, actually reports to the dean of libraries at GW that I have an an excellent uh, relationship with. She's a, a wonderful colleague of mine. Um, And so my commitment over the next few years is to make sure that I'm a part of helping her team and her organization provide the resources that faculty need to be able to create enriched learning environments. We also are paying attention um, to blockchain. Mm -hmm. We're paying attention 
uh, to how that could be one of the major disruptors of education. Um, when you look at services such as Uber and Airbnb, they were disruptive because they removed the middleman. They brought the consumer much closer to the service. And so I think that universities that pay attention to that and do some exploration of that in terms of um, certifications, um, putting students in control of their portfolios, um, you know, that's going to be, you'll see some game changers there. Um, the other area that we're paying attention to um, as we look at our current infrastructure design and platform is designing what the industry is referring to as, as extensible infrastructure. So building in the capacity for future growth as we're looking at life cycle refreshment of, of, of refresh of those technologies. Also, when you look at the mobile experience that all of us have become used to now, we have to look at ways that we can bring the app much closer to the data that powers the app. So when you think about how you use Waze, mm -hmm. uh, your your electronic boarding ticket, um, open table to make reservations, that app is connecting immediately to live data and allowing you to make a decision to do your work. Can you imagine if when you uh, went to have your boarding pass scan on your phone, you had to wait overnight for the batch process to upload and inform the airline that you are an authorized flyer. And so that's an area that we're going to pay a lot of attention to. With so many of our operations and transactions and systems that are back office and that are still very much a batch process driven, while we are paying attention to you know, data warehousing and BI, we have to even take it one step closer, and it's to bring that data capability and the power of that data and putting it directly in the hands of the people that can be you know, be successful with that information. That's great. You know, I want to thank you for coming in today and, and talking about the role of technology IT in higher education. And it's important for um, this show because uh, you are shaping and, and informing the government executives of the future. So uh, Rick and I would like to thank you for your time today. Thanks again. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed having this conversation with you. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Loretta Early, Chief Information Officer at the George Washington University. My co-host today from IBM is Rick Strasser. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, it outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all center reports at businessofgovernment.org.
the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org.